0: We should be able to find beauty in the things that we do. And if if we can't find beauty in it, then there is possibly something fundamentally wrong about it.
1: Hello, and welcome to the Circular Economy podcast, where we find out how circular approaches make a better business and a better world. I'm Catherine Wheatman of Rethink Global, and I'll be chatting to those people making the circular economy happen, rethinking how we design, make and use everything. We'll talk to entrepreneurs and business owners, social enterprises and leading thinkers. We'll find out how circular principles can create value, increase resilience and reduce risk to make a competitive, sustainable organisation. You'll find the show notes and links at www.circulareconomypodcast.com, where you can subscribe to updates and useful resources. In today's episode, I'm talking to Adam Fairweather. Adam and his partner, Rosalie Macmillan, run Smile Plastics, a circular economy business that reimagines local waste streams to make beautiful materials for the built environment. We explore some of the wide range of projects Adam's been involved in, and he tells us about his plans for decentralised manufacturing, forming an industrial ecosystem to reimagine waste, we begin with Adam's background and his approach to design.
0: Well, I, I studied product stroke, industrial stroke, applied art design, a degree at Brighton. And I was very disheartened at the idea that there didn't seem to be a real solution for uh, someone who wanted to have a positive Social and environmental impact is with design um, it didn't feel like there was a, a great platform and this is going back to sort of the very early 2000s um, there were some examples of sustainable product sustainable design but didn 't feel like there was um, there was anything that was changing using design to change the world it was um, and I really wanted to sort of be part and create examples that um, use the language of design, um, the language of materials, to communicate messages to people. Um, so, like the, a kind of equivalent of a, a headline in the in a tabloid newspaper, if an object could talk to you or an experience could talk to you in such a uh, influential way that it then meant that you looked at life with completely different you know a completely different take on on how we can you know work and live with the environment then then it would be fantastic to be part of this and so basically since then all I've ever tried to do uh, and I've only really ever worked for myself um, is come up and explore uh, through sort of Feasibility studies: How we can design in a way that not only has a, a a kind of a a low impact, but actually has a a positive net impact in the way that it can change not just the environment, you know, environmentally it is beneficial, socially it's beneficial, but it also has the ability to change on a in a system. Um, A social system, an industrial system, um, and to make a kind of this this ecosystem that surrounds us um, sustainable and uh, durable. And I guess that's a conundrum that lots of people have with being involved in design and industry is, you know, it's not always that straightforward how you can have that positive impact. Um, So, it's been a sort of a battle to try and come up with ways and all of my work has always been focused around this very sort of core uh, approach to design, which in some ways is really linked to permaculture and how permaculture can influence industrial and social ecosystems and how material language can communicate messages to people through design um, and create durable, um, socially, emotionally, industrially durable products.
1: That's really interesting. And yes, I agree with you on the permaculture links. I um, studied for a permaculture design certificate a few years ago after I'd moved up to Yorkshire, and that's kind of influenced a lot of my thinking. And it fits really well, I think, with circular economy principles and I think you know your purpose is really clear and but incredibly ambitious as well I guess it's one of those things that you're always going to be puzzling away at how how do you take the next step and how do you create something that that can really get that message out to people that it's not just about being a bit doing a bit less bad um, or have buying a sustainable product to replace the you know, the unsustainable one that you might have had before, but it's about how you can, as you say, create systems and, and try and create more awareness of doing things differently. So moving on from, from the course then back at Brighton, um, how did that then flow into the different projects and, and the business that you have now? That, the, the focus of
0: that my work has been around how you can take um what we see today is waste, and reimagine that in a way that can be useful again to to businesses to people to society um to the environment and and that is, is the designing with waste has been a kind of a core focus uh for for, for me. For the best part of two decades now, and I I feel like that is the the, 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 the starting point for nearly every project that I that I've looked at is uh, historically has been this because that's where I see the biggest failing um, in the way that. the systems that we have around us that sustain us um, work. Um, and that has been, you know, that is the driving force behind Smile Plastics. It's the driving force behind other projects which I've been involved with, um, like Green Cup Coffee. And, um, and it's, a, it's about creating um, and taking ownership, of the full supply chain that exists within your activity as a person and that could be um, a micro detail or it could be a gigantic detail it could be something that employs millions of people but you know it could just be the way that you do something and I'm not perfect I'm on a journey to to get never I will never be perfect it's impossible but I'm on a journey to sort of explore how you can do that with the, your actions and um and small plastics is uh you know it's a and, a and a circular economic business. Um it's a, a business that is designed around permaculture, it's designed around creating permanent cultural uh permanent cultural opportunities for us, permanent environment, environmental opportunities for, for us. Um, and it's very important that um, that that's a kind of a starting point for decisions uh, in the future. I believe um, that that's where you start from, um, but we need to be building solutions that have this kind of positive social impact, and and I guess that's you know where smile plastic sits in that that kind of circular economic a section of, of society. Um, and so, yeah, designing with waste, making fulfilling value, valuable products, changing the perceptions of people around what waste is and what waste can be used for, isn't really just about waste. It's about making people value things more. And, and it's about making people touch something and think, this is valuable. I didn't really think about it before. And that type of durability, the connection that you get from a person with an object is very hard to create with the way that society and manufacturing and you know industry exist today because um, there is it's very hard to create that level of of what's termed as emotional durability in a product and that's what unfortunately is the first thing that makes the product redundant today is it's no longer emotion it's no longer on trend it's no longer what i want it's because the product's not been able to build enough bridges with with us as consumers um, mm. Oh, that's I'm, really I'm thinking big...
1: about uh, yeah I'm Sorry. thinking about um uh yeah on on that kind of the emotional engagement and so on I'm thinking about the fairphone and when you when your fairphone arrives in its box the cover and I think you can still choose the color of the outer case the cover that's not attached to the phone it comes as you know, two different parts in a, in a packet. And so you're you the first person to clip the cover onto the phone and you know, it's a very simple process. But the reason they chose to do that was not just to save, you know, a tiny amount of labour in the packing centre, but mainly so that you, you've done something to the phone before you've even used it. And it kind of starts the process of emotional engagement. So, so coming back to Smile Plastics, then, how, you know, when, when did that start? And um, perhaps for people who've not come across it before, can you tell us a bit about what it what it does?
0: So, yeah, go. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit about Smile Plastics, and then I and I'll tell you a little bit about the, the history of it. So, Smile Plastics is a material design and manufacturing house that takes different types of waste materials and converts them into um, decorative surface panel products that can replace building materials. Um, in, and they tend to be, um, they're slightly decorative, so they're very pretty. They don't need to be painted or treated like a sheet of plywood or MDF. They're, they're wholly beautiful throughout the material. So, um, and we spend a lot of time curating different types of wastes and um, fusing them together and creating large architectural panels that people then use to replace things like marble or plyboard or MDF, whatever it might be, it's, you know, the, the flat panel can be used in the built environment very readily. It fits inside the way that the industry operates today, and it's something that, um, is a is kind of a quick plug-in. It's a fix. We, we use flat material. We need to be able to make and construct things to fulfil, you know, basic op- requirements. And um, and so, smile plastics operates in this field of building, you know, flat surface panel products. Um, we have a core range of activities. One which is, we have a core range of materials making different types of packaging, predominantly waste and. They have slightly different performance properties, and also they look very, very different. Um, so they have very different graphic personalities to them as materials. So technically, one might suit an application more than another. Graphically, they, they, you know, there's a, there's a, another reason why you might choose them. But essentially, they all have relatively similar functions, which could be a tabletop, a shelf, a splashback in the shower, um, you know. A, bit of a bicycle, uh, the applications are relatively broad. Um, and on top of that, we also um, will work with companies or people on a range of, a range of bespoke projects, which, which basically means designing materials that really fit with the application. That could be a, a cut, a pallet, a, you know a color palette, so it might be that an interior designer is working on a project for a school, and the school has been doing all these types of things um, and they've they could be they could end up talking to us possibly about a collection project where we may well reimagine those materials into a product or so it might be something like colors and patterns that they want to communicate because it's the Um, the the brand color of the school or it could be something else it's very hard to sort of determine what 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 drives people it could be that a fashion house is asking us to make a a specific color palette because that's what um you know they need for this this year um for their their their, the clothes that they're making they need the shops stores to have the same ethos um So we we do this type of bespoke work. And then on top of that, we have a design and build service where we will work with companies to support in the design of products and objects. And we're also, and that could be at any level. So we could be making, designing at a very early stage in a very sort of impactful way, or we could just be facilitating with a, product designer or architect how the materials might fit into a a a design and built object and then support and facilitate the design and building of that product or or installation if it's a, a in the built environment and then with something that we're looking into at the moment which is a relatively new thing is because we're making these really large pieces of material not everybody can engage with us and we realize that we really need to let people have access to the materials on a smaller, smaller scale, um, so that they can hopefully become adopters to use them um, in the future on a larger platform. I.e., they might build something really big out of it, but they can start to use it in in the daily routine. So um, we're going to be, and we do have a small range of finished products, um, which we have a a kind of a sister company called Smile Studio, and that although it's relatively infantile today will be a, a platform where we can make smaller items that people can engage with materials and a more immediately um if they want if they feel that they'd like to. Um without having to get a carpenter in to help cut something up or working on a big design and build project where things, you know, are designed into a specific installation, etc. Um, and so, so what, that's,
1: what kind of items might those might those be? The smaller items.
0: It could be. So we have a chopping board which is made out of um, uh, plastic that 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 is from the manufacturing of chopping boards. So it's all the offcuts um, from a chopping board factory. They, they weren't sure what to do with them, and so we've gone in there and we've taken this house and we've repurposed it as a as, this, as a very ornate decorative material that actually has all of these amazing properties for chopping boards. <laughs> and although people have used it for all sorts of things, we've actually realized, you know, it could be a chopping board, right? Um, so, <laughs> so we sort of happened back across it, uh, the, what it originally came from. Um, and then, yeah, so there's that type of product as well. And then there's possibly small furniture items like tables, etc. cetera, um, that exist. Um, and I guess I guess that's a little bit about what we do as a business. Um, and then I guess the history of the business is quite interesting because um, Rosalie, a co-founder and design partner of the company with I and I, actually um, we've based this business idea, which we started around five years ago, on a company that was set up in the late 80s and early 90s called Smile Plastics. Um, and Smile Plastics um ran for about 10 years making decorative materials from things like detergent bottles etc and um it was set up by uh, someone called colin williamson who's an engineer and jane atfield who is a designer um they they it up eventually but uh, colin was the engineer that actually created the uh, the infrastructure behind the manufacturing and the engineering and the and the factory uh, set up um, for the idea and um, and Colin and the idea of Smile Plastics was actually an inspiration for, for me personally when I was started this idea, started my journey almost you know, 15, 20 years ago into how can I be involved in the creative industries as a design, design uh, person and have uh, an impact and one of the examples that I that I aspired towards was, was actually small Plastics. And a lot of my work has been based around what Smart Plastics was doing, you know, 30 years ago, um, plus years ago. And it's, I guess that's, you know, it was very meaningful to me as a, as a, as a, as someone looking for influences um, at the time, and it's obviously had a huge impact on me, so much so that five years ago, um, I contacted Colin and, um, with Rosalie and we, we met up and we said, look, what happened? Is there anything that we can do to restart this? Um, we really believe that this has to happen. We really need better quality, more engaging materials for designers to use made from uh you know that have a wholly embodied environmental story and and aren't horrible poor quality you know really good quality things things which extends technically as well as perceptually the, the the value of the product and i think um you know we were now in a probably our fifth or sixth year of Scaling up this idea through trial and error, with you know, with support from Colin and and another company in Germany who've been incredibly supportive of us, uh, giving us support in setting up our own uh, operations here. And we've kind of, you know, we're just coming out of our, I would say, advanced proof of concept. We're we're a real business. We we work with lots of companies all over the the place, and and we're fulfilling a real element of uh, what is required. But coming back to the sort of the broader journey, I see it, you know, personally, I couldn't ever be completely satisfied that something's finished or perfect. And so even if it was, you know, operating a hundred times bigger than it is today, I would still see it being advanced proof of concept we're trialing we're trying to look for a way to make this perfect you know there's these things here we can do these things here we can do i don't think there's an you know there's any unfortunately man-made uh, process that is ever going to be purely purely positive maybe maybe that's maybe i'm the wrong i don't know but but i feel like you know, it's it's a journey that we need to start to push from the bottom up um backwards and see how we can tweak it and improve it. And and I guess I'm one of those tweakers and tinkerers, you know, playing with the idea, you know, it's more more than a shared activity. It's 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 a um it's something that engages people and I'm you know, I'm tinkering in this idea of how can we be part of that with smile plastics and, and this is something that wasn't was, was the, the sort of fundamental beliefs of how Leslie and I approached design uh anyway within as professionals outside of how we came to smile plastics but as we progress with the smile plastics you know um idea it's obviously in part of what what smart plastics is so there's a much older business and then there's a very young business and the young business is what you know we've changed it. it's not the same as it was when it first was invented in, you know in the 90s it's it's very very different but at the same time it's the same idea and i think it's really interesting to think that you know these ideas have been knocking around for a really really long time it, it, you know we're just i think the voices are being recognized more than they were possibly back then and the platforms exist for people to be able to engage and have a more meaningful voice and i think that's really important you know the voices are smaller but but more people can have a voice and i think that's really exciting i think it means that these types of embryonic kinds of movements whatever it might be have the ability to have a impact um and maintain a a kind of momentum, uh, which is very hard for some. 30 years ago, it was a very hard to you know, without...
1: Without lots of money to spend on, on marketing. I think you're, you're right, because these days, um, you know, with social media and so on, um, there is the potential for an idea or um, a product or whatever it is that people really engage with to go viral of its own accord you know for your for your customers to be your biggest fan base and to do quite a bit of the marketing on your behalf without you having to spend money on advertising and you know and if we if we look back at i guess the first consumer revolution in the in the 1950s when advertising became marketing it was all about having the money to spend on persuading people that they you know, really needed your latest product, whereas um, now there are different ways to, to engage, aren't there? So, I mean, do you, moving on to that in terms of the last um, year or, or so, do you feel that the circular economy and people's awareness of the, the issues and desire to do something that, that has, um, you know, less impact or a positive impact, do you feel that's really gaining traction?
0: It definitely has um, more and more. I don't know, I, I feel, I obviously love all of these um, these sorts of iterations of, I guess what I, and I think you probably in some ways also see it, it's, it's part of a, a sustainable approach to design. And, uh, and that's one point, we've had different coined phrases, and I think maybe all these coined phrases like we were just talking about before, possibly weren't at the right time for them to be able to get the capture the imagination of people and governments and um and I think and and then then they had the ability to create momentum. We've had sustainable design, which I think was a big thing in the nineties and 2000s, And then you had cradle to cradle and closed loop. Uh, Closed loop in the circular economy, very similar, cradle to cradle, very similar. The circular economy is an iteration that I feel that it's very kind of part of that whole, you know, reimagining how we communicate this this topic. And I think economy hits, it's something that people relate to. They understand it's money. Uh, Economy... uh, Links to all sorts of things. For someone interested in sustainability, they realise there's you know there's triple bottom lines: um, environment, social, and money. Uh, when you when you look at you know economy um, and the circular you know circular design, circular economy, they, they work very well together. I'm I'm confident that right now it's a fantastic platform and it's got lots of really really great momentum behind it. I think. I see more interest and support f- from the government in it um there's been you know going back for five years um when i four years five years when it we started to hear the the fray, the the kind of movement um like uh the great recovery program which was part of an Art royal society of arts um p s b funded project to engage in how we can start to think about this and how we can engage the creative sectors more in it and get them to impact because so i think you know these steps where we're professionalizing it and creating platforms are really really important and i think as long as that we can continue that momentum and hopefully get you know, legislation to start to incorporate some of these approaches in a meaningful way. And people like the Ella MacArthur Foundation continue to push with their, you know, their lobbying, etc. I feel like it's only going one way with this.
1: Yes, I think you're right that governments are certainly seeing it as a way to improve resilience and self-sufficiency and you know improve situation for jobs for balance of trade for resource security there are all sorts of really fundamental benefits so uh, is there anything else you want to say about the next phase of Smile Plastics?
0: Um, So uh, like I said before we are an advanced proof of concept business Um, although we are trading in real world term context so we are you know, we are stress testing how how this business idea works, this industrial um, ecosystem that surrounds Smile plastics, how that can operate. So we're de- developing systems, operating procedures, etc., technology that surrounds exactly where we fit inside the built, you know, supplier to the built environment. Um, and in the next couple of years we want to have optimized that perfectly so it's something that we can start to really deploy in a in a in a big way as um more of a so not as a centralized production center uh, the idea of smart plastics is about decentralized manufacturing it's a, it's to do with finding uh finding urban hubs or densely populated countries and creating smaller, more meaningful manufacturing that can more can operate and move more dynamically with the way that things work. So it can move with what we see today as trends in industry, trends in fashion and i think one of the problems that we've seen with you know centralized manufacturing is that it's focused around perfect linear models and they can only re- they they can work in a circular way but but for them to work perfectly everything has to be perfect or as close to perfect as possible and um and it doesn't allow people to engage it with the imperfect and i think the imperfect is a very very important part of what makes them special to people and precious. It, the, 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 so we need that imperfection to build the emotional bridges with a material, with a the product. Um, there's obviously a balance. <laughs> you know, it can't just fall apart or be useless or be toxic. Um, but there is, and I think the, what we're trying to do with smart plastics is create this this um, the platform, the tools and the systems and procedures in place to professionalize making material in a locally, but globally in a a meaningful way. So hopefully in two years time, we will have started to build a a second factory, either with a partner or ourselves, if we can't find people that want to work with us. Um, And that will build and it's going to escalate. And we're going to make more and more of these centres that can reimagine local waste streams and make really beautiful, meaningful materials for the built environment. And that's where we see Smile Plastics in the future.
1: Wow, that sounds fantastic. And, you know, it would be brilliant, wouldn't it, to to fledge lots of decentralised manufacturing centres worldwide that could do a do a similar thing in terms of engaging with local businesses to repurpose their different waste streams. It could could really transform lots of lots of other businesses.
0: We are we're a platform. You know we are a platform for the circular economy. So we we enable it. We're an enabler of the circular economy within, uh, you know within this, this. We're a we're a tool for it, right? We can make it happen. <laughs> that's sort of what we are. We 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 as we're, we're the we're a company that enables it to happen and enables it to be part of uh, other both businesses' approaches to the way that they do things. And you know, it's and and that's kind of you know what's really exciting about it. And we love making beautiful things. We think that's important. You know, whatever you do, it should be beautiful, um, even if it's not you know, intrinsically beautiful. I think we should we should be able to find beauty in the things that we do. And if if we can't find beauty in it, then there is possibly something fundamentally wrong about it, because obviously beauty's multifaceted, but we should find some element in, in what we do as wholesome and and something that we really fundamentally believe in. And that is when we know that we're we're on if everyone had that in what they did, then probably we wouldn't be in the situation with global warming and all these types of things um, that we're in today because the net positive impact of everything, everybody doing something which they felt really good about would, would essentially um, you know, balance off some of the, the, the long lasting damage that we've, we've managed to inflict on ourselves.
1: Yes. I can't think what the exact phrase from uh, Marie Kondo is, but only buy things that spark joy. You know, everything else should be surplus. So in terms of the circular economy, do you have a favourite circular economy business example that you'd like to share? Um, There's two.
0: I'm going to give you some
1: examples of things that we've done
0: or things that we've been involved with. Um, One was a really exciting project for the Wellcome Trust where they were making an installation that was meant to sort of engage people into a sort of dreamscape and so we made a, this material which has all the sort of emotive personality to it when you look at it you can see things that relate to the waste um and so it takes you out of you know there's a bit of yogurt pot in there there's you know foil lids there's brand branding in there but it's very white and and uh, cloud-like. But at the end of its life, um, we, we we tried, to, or we set up the project to take that back and repurpose it back into product again for them. And and so what happened was a, a repeating cycle where we took all of the scraps from the project and we remanufactured it into new material that could go back into either our own business or back into the the Welcome Trust as a new material for another show, which they were doing. And that's a really lovely sort of mini little picture, but um, there was a project, and I guess this comes back to my earlier coffee recycling, uh, industrial ecosystem concept of taking coffee waste and making a series of products out of it um, that could engage people with, within the coffee industry, which has obviously been growing massively. Um, a project with uh, green cup which is this circular economy coffee concept um, that was um that i've been involved with uh, massively um, we had a project with google where for a year we collected coffee waste out of the office um as part of the reverse logistics from supplying coffee so fresh coffee was going in and all the coffee at the same time was being collected and taken back out again at the end of the year and throughout that year, we'd actually been designing with Google ways that their coffee could be reintegrated back into the workplace as meaningful experiences for the staff and for their visitors. And we converted it into a series of products from espresso coffee machines to furniture uh, to a coffee laboratory where they were analyzing fresh coffee and testing it for, you know, a rather unusual case, obviously Google. Um, but... was a really interesting uh, story of how a business really wanted to understand and get involved with how it could be reintegrated back inside the way that they were going to be building their office in different formats. And um, and so that was a really fun sort of circular economic kind of uh, existence where it's part of a longer journey. There was an evolutionary aspect to it. And I think that is part of how we can make the circular economy uh, work and how we can build emotional links between experiences, products, and people and businesses. And I think that those are all the things that we need to do with the built environment, with the way that we consume things, whether it's food or clothes or building materials.
1: Yeah, and I think hopefully that's... Also engaged um, a whole bunch of creatives, you know, digital creatives and software developers and so on, um, in uh, repurposing waste and, and the circular economy. So hopefully, it's it's uh, um, sparked a few ideas for for other projects. So Adam, who who would you recommend as a future guest for the program, um, particularly uh, you know in helping? Um, Inspire small and medium businesses to do circular things?
0: Uh, I guess off the top of my head, a a, a good, uh, really, uh, you you probably already have interviewed her. If you haven't, I think Sophie Thomas of Thomas Matthews uh, uh, Design would be a really fantastic person. Uh, uh, Sophie was one of the people that uh, worked on the RSA Royal Society of Arts Great Recovery project. Oh for, yes,
1: okay. Yeah.
0: And and um and she also is a um I don't know whether she's say a co-founder or a partner or a director of um a project called Common Seas, which is very much about plastics recycling and recovery. Um but more systemic, so more about the idea of, about it from what I understand and how it can engage this um how to engage with, with businesses around it. But yes, if Sophie Thomas is a really uh, fantastic person to talk to about the circular economy, I think. And I think she had a lot of value to to you, the audience, actually.
1: Yeah, brilliant. I shall get in touch with her. Thank you.
0: I can, I, I'll send you an intro if you want.
1: <laughs> okay, thank you. That would be great. Thanks, Adam. So how can people find out more about you Um, Smile Plastics, other projects that you're involved in?
0: Well, um, I guess you could look at um, Uh, www.smile-plastics.com if you want to find out about um, what we're doing at Smile Plastics. um, We have a great Instagram page, not very many posts, but you can see Really fantastic projects that other companies and other people have been working on linked to hopefully what we've been up to um, with plastics
1: recycling. Brilliant. That's great. I'll put those in the show notes as well. So if people don't have a pen and paper handy when they're listening, they can uh, go to the website and, and look them up from there. Fantastic. Thank you, Adam, for taking us through the story of Smile Plastics and your beginnings in applied art at, at Brighton. It sounds like a fascinating journey so, more, so far and it sounds like you've got an awful lot more that you're going to um, to do in your um, with your kind of mindset of the advanced proof of concept that you know, never reaches perfection. I think that's a, a good state of mind to have. So thank you very much, Adam.
0: OK, thank you very much too. And um, yeah, we'll talk soon, hopefully.
1: Yeah, great stuff. If you'd like to learn more about the circular economy, why not go back and listen to episode one? Head over to rethinkglobal.info or buy my book, A Circular Economy Handbook for Business and Supply Chains, which takes you through the practicalities, including lots of real examples from around the world. You can get in touch via the website rethinkglobal.info or send us a tweet at rethink underscore global. Please let us know what you think of the podcast and you can help other people find it by reviewing us on iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts. See you next time.